You're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally recorded in the fall of 2017. We hope you enjoy the special bonus content from Regen. Connect last weekend. All right, there was a handful of you guys who were like, oh, I'm mildly okay with it. So, um, how many of you guys had a good time at Reconnect last weekend? Because you experienced the presence of God. We got to worship together. We prayed together. We saw some incredible miracles together. We saw people get healed. People came to know Jesus. It was an amazing weekend. And I got to hang out with my brother, and it was fun. And so, yeah, that was, no, it's just for me. But yeah, <laughs> had a good time, and, uh, and it's, it's been awesome. So I want you guys to turn to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12. We're back in our series, Faithful God, Faithful, Faithless People, Faithful God. Faithless people, faithful God. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it up. If you have a phone, I want you to grab it, open it up. Bobby, could you please lift the screen for me, please? Thank you, sir. Open it up to your version app. It's free. If you don't have the version app, you can look it up on the App Store. It's absolutely free. Download it right now because you're going to need it. John. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, grab your Bibles and open up to Hosea 12. And... Uh, if, is it okay if I preach a little bit tonight? Yes. Is that okay? Is it all is it all right if we if we get a word if you guys get a word from God tonight? Okay, because I'm because I feel like this could be really good for some of you guys tonight. What we're going to be looking at because this is not me getting up here and just like giving a speech. This is not speech class. Thank God. You guys thought like speech class is horrible for some of you guys. You were like, I don't want to talk in front of people, and then you have to listen through your your classmates mumble through their speeches. But this is about. God speaking to you. This is a word that was written by the prophet Hosea seven centuries before Jesus was born. So like a long time. If you're doing the math, that's like over 2,700 years ago. It's a long time okay, ago, but there's some incredible things that prophet Hosea has to do. And remember the setting. This is in that small little country on the coast of the Mediterranean, uh, which is now the location of modern day Israel. okay. And God had made a promise to the people of Israel because this is the ancient kingdom of Israel. Somebody say kingdom. And in that kingdom, God wanted to show the wanted to bring a blessing to the world. He made a promise to the ancestors to the ancestor of the Israelites named Abraham, and he said, "I'm going to bless." Somebody say, "Bless." I'm going to bless the world through your offspring. And so then he's later on, as after the Israelites have spent 400 years in slavery, God brings them out by a, by a mighty right hand, by signs and wonders and miracles. And the man Moses, God choos, chooses him to bring the people of Israel out of slavery. Somebody say, praise God, we're not in slavery anymore. God brings his people out of slavery. That's right. And then God, you guys are awesome. And... <laughs> And then, so God brings his people out of slavery with Moses, and then he gives Moses the covenant, says covenant, covenant, not talking about the Halo game series, talking about actual covenant, an actual promised agreement. And God tells his people, he gives them a, a, a list of laws, the ten big ones we know as the ten commandments, right? We've heard of those ones before, right? And most of those we're pretty cool with um, most of the time, unless we really begin to dig deep and then we find out that we're actually like not cool with any of them. And then um, and because um, we're not God and we are sinful creatures. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then, so there's like all these laws and then the people break these laws, 
Right? They're like, abs- like God brings them to the promised land, and they're like, yes, absolutely, we will follow these laws. Because God says, if you follow these laws, you will be blessed. If you disobey these laws, you will be cursed. And so then he's like, and so they're like, absolutely, God, we will totally do this. And then they don't do it. <laughs> Anybody have that friend in your life? Yes? Okay. <laughs> so, but the point is, there's, but there's a long history here. Somebody say History. 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 Tonight's uh, sermon is going to be out of Hosea 12 and 13, so we're going to read through them. And let me just tell you now, I want you to brace yourself, okay? Just, everybody brace yourself against the table like this, right? Because it's going to get a little heavy, okay? But I want you to stick with me, because as Harvey Dent said in The Dark Night, <laughs> the night is always darkest just before the dawn, okay? So, <laughs> good line from the Batman series. Okay, Hosea chapter 12, verse 2. We're rewinding the clocks. It's 2,700 years ago, and God begins speaking through the prophet Hosea to his people. God has a word for his people, and this is it. Are you ready? Are you guys ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Verse 2. That's what we're going to be starting, because we already went through verse 1 last week. The Lord has an indictment against Judah, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Verse 7. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. Verse 10. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Also, Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Chapter 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, and he incurred guilt, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. Verse 4, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Chapter 14. 
Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. This is still God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd open up the scripture to us. Help us understand this, to contextualize this. What is it that you're saying to us through this passage? God, I pray that you'd help me to teach this faithfully, humbly, compassionately, um, and truthfully, God. Let my words be your words. And God, in the midst of looking at something very dark, I pray that you would help us to begin to see where you're calling us, who you're calling us to be, and the ultimate hope of resurrection. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen and amen. So t- tonight, uh, the sermon title is this, Relationship History. Relationship History. Somebody say relationship. relationship. Somebody say history. history. Now, I'm not going to do a show of hands at all, but everybody in here has got a relationship history. Okay? Or you like, I don't have a relationship history. Okay, well, you have, you have a relationship history or a lack thereof. Okay? You've had, you've had romantic interests. Okay? Over time, right? And remember, throughout this series, we've been talking about this concept that relationships are a reflection. Turn to somebody, say reflection. So God, in His in His sovereignty and in His wisdom and in His brilliance, has used human relationships. That is, even romantic relationships, uh, marriage, uh, 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 fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. He has used parental and um, child relationships and sibling type relationships. All of those relationships illustrate something of the nature of the relationship that God wants with you. So God wants to have a relationship with you. Can I get an amen on that? God wants a relationship with you. And we can see this in the way that he dealt with his people 2,700 years ago. In this text, you might read this and go, this sounds horrible, doesn't sound like it's relevant to me in my life. I'm about to prove you wrong because I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to show you something through this passage that is going to speak to you exactly where you're at. Because everybody's got a relationship history, right? And we all, now sometimes we don't know exactly what to do with it, right? We don't know how to unpack it. Uh, Other times we're just like, well, I don't have a relationship history, so I don't have anything to deal with. Um, And you know, if you're like me, I thought I was pretty awesome. Like I was a really cool, neat, nice guy. And then I got married. Um, And and no, 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 hold up. Because then suddenly I realized that I was not as cool or neat or nice as I thought. I thought I was pretty awesome. Like I was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Okay. I was smart. I was cunning and, you know, and, and, and I could play the piano decently and I could, you know, all these kinds of things. Right. I I impressed myself. I really did. But then when you get into a relationship that's really meaningful with somebody who actually deeply cares about you and somebody who knows you really well, you begin to realize that, ah, I'm not as awesome as I really thought I was. And honey, will you please forgive me? I love you, <laughs> right? So what, we're get, what we look at here is that God has, all, has, has, a, has had a relationship with Israel for a long time by this point. Several hundred years, in fact. 
probably about. And so then in uh, in Hosea 12, we realize that point, uh, there's going to be. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, so you're going to try to stick with me. There's like nine points I'm going to go through, but I'm going to tie it all together at the end. So, first of all, number one, Israel and God have a history. We see this in verses 2 through 6 of chapter 12. Israel and God have a history. So, first God says, I'm going to pronounce an indictment. Somebody say indictment. Indictment. What's an indictment? Charge. A charge, like legally speaking, right? Y'all watch like Judge Judy? When you were a kid, like I did when I was a kid. <laughs> but it's always like, she stole my car, and I told her that she couldn't drive it on the weekends, and then she, she ran into a fire hydrant. Okay, was, were, were you in the room when she took the keys? Yeah, but I thought, you know, uh, there's, you know, it's just stupid domestic disputes sometimes, but we, you can't stop watching because they're just, it's just a train wreck of human relationships. Um, so God says, I'm bringing an indictment against Israel, a legal accusation. Now, in those days, you would go to the gate of the city. If, there was, if you had a legal accusation to make against somebody, you'd go to the gate. Somebody say gate. gate. And then you would bring an indictment against somebody. And so God is bringing an indictment against Israel. Basically, because God has made a covenant agreement with them, he's saying, Israel, you have, uh, you have clearly violated your covenant with me. I have made an agreement with you, and you have not kept up your end of the agreement. But there's some grace involved in here. Somebody say grace. grace. You'll see it as we go through this. So, so God pronounces an indictment against Israel. And then, because he's saying, Israel used to pursue me. Israel, you used to pursue me. Because, see, he's saying, I'll punish Jacob according to his ways and will pay him according to his deeds. Why? Well, in verse 3, he says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. In Genesis 25, we read about the man, Israel, whom the nation of Israel is named after. He was Abraham's grandson. And Jacob was a cunning dude. He was known to be a liar and a deceiver and a conniver. He was one who was determined. Somebody say determined. Determined, determined to get his way. And so he, but he was determined, and it was even evident in the way he was born, where his older brother Esau came out before him. He was, they were twins, but he's grabbing onto Esau's heel. Like, no, I'm going to come out first. Like, it's crazy, side note, it's crazy how much you get to know about the personality of your children at a young age. I'm just, like, our daughter is 10 months old, and you just, you just know stuff. It's crazy, like, you think, like, oh, babies are just, like, little lumps of protoplasm. No, they're, like, actually people, like... I once heard a psychology professor call it that. So, um, but they're actually people with like real feelings and definitely a lot of personality. So um, anyway, so Jacob was born that way. And then in Genesis 28, we read this really interesting story about how Jacob encountered this person and started wrestling him. I don't exactly know how the fight broke out or whatever, or if like Jacob just fought random people who were walking around his camp or whatever. But Jacob fights with them, and then he realizes that he'd been wrestling with God the entire time. Physically, God had appeared before him, and he was like wrestling with God. And so God said, you've been wrestling with me. He's like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And then he's like, I want to give you a new name. I'm going to, no longer will you be Jacob, Yaakov. Now you will be Yisrael. You know what Yisrael means? Wrestles with God. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that the name of God's people in the Old Testament, that like the, the nation that he has poured out his favor on, the people that he gives favor to are not named obedient to God or walking in perfect harmony with God all the time or just floating on a cloud of love with God. Like that is not, that is not the kind of, but I love that God actually goes after people who wrestle with him. God goes after people who are not in a perfect situation with God, who are not exactly perfect with where their, with their, where their life is at or where their attitude is at, but God says, I'm willing to work on it. 
So, Israel, used to, he's saying you used to presume, you used to be a determined person. That you, and there was something determined about Jacob, but it's been lost on Israel. Because in verse 6, God makes his expectations really clear. He says, and so he talks about when, when Jacob met him at Bethel, and he says, The Lord um, of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. And the Lord there is the, is, is the word Yahweh. Somebody say Yahweh. 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 It's the name of our God. It means I am. I am. Just the God who is. He's not, he doesn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to explain who he is. He just is. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that we have a God who just is. He is alive. He is there. He is listening. He is able. He is stronger. He is wiser than whatever you're coming up against. So God makes his expectations clear. He says, this is what I want you to do. He says, by the help of your God, return. So number one, repentance. And then number two, he says, hold fast to love. Somebody say love. Love and justice. Somebody say justice. Justice. And then he says, to wait continually for your God. This echoes the cry of the prophet Micah in Micah 6.8 when he said, the Lord has asked you to do basically three things, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. They were supposed to be a kingdom of people who are looking out for the downtrodden, who are loving those who are unlovable, but they weren't doing that. Why? Because God's kingdom has always been like that, and he wanted the people of Israel to be a physical example of the coming invisible kingdom of Christ. Where the unloved are loved. Where the orphans are placed into a family. Where the fatherless find a father. Where the friendless find a friend. Where the people who are broken and damaged find healing. That's what God had in His mind when He created the kingdom. And His kingdom is still at work in the world right now. But that kingdom of Israel was supposed to be a prototype of that. A model of that. And they were failing to live up to what God was asking of them. So, number two... So that's point one, is Israel and God have a history. Number two, Israel denies the present problem. There is definitely a present problem with Israel. And there's a, there's a problem with the relationship. Somebody say problem. problem. Somebody say, you need to call your girlfriend because there's a problem in this relationship right now. No, don't say that. Um, but when there's relational problems, Israel's denying it. And this is really crazy. He says, a merchant, verse 7, in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim must say, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. In other words, the people of, of the land, or actually the word merchant there is actually the word Canaan. It's the word for the people who lived in Israel prior to the Israelites coming. The pagans who served false gods. And see, he's comparing Israel, his people, to the people he asked them to remove from the land so that he could establish his kingdom. Isn't this crazy? He's saying, buy your unjust practices. And what are the unjust practices? Well, they talk about a merchant who has, um, who has false balances. Somebody say balances. Go like this. Balances, right? So God had pro- balances. Back in those days, you would do a lot of bartering. I wouldn't recommend it. Although, maybe you could try this. Like, go to your grocery store and be like... Um, this is my marble collection uh, from when I was a kid, and I'd like to trade it for that chicken breast. So, <laughs> see how that goes over, you know? I mean, actually, that should be worth more. I'm also on that loaf of bread. So, um, <laughs> bartering was a big deal back then, okay? So, they would barter to, to, to get things. And so, it, it really depended on, uh, a good trade depended on the merchant being fair. Like, they would have scales and say, okay, here's how much grain you get for the amount of, uh, of uh, you know, see that you, of stuff that you give me, or weigh it all out and decide what you get, right? But if you have false balances, like you had a, you, you developed a trick to where you could actually cheat somebody out of something that was unfair. 
And ultimately, that's, that farmer, that agricultural laborer who had sweated away hours in the field could be completely ripped off when he came into town to sell his wares. And the people of Israel were continually doing this. Injustice is a theme throughout Scripture that God hates. God hates injustice. And that's why it's, it's shocking to me when people, this is just, this is just kind of my, kind of me going off here but a little bit, but it's shocking to me when people will let their political convictions get in front of their Christian convictions. It really bugs me when I see people get upset over things that are not worth it in the big scheme of things, according to the kingdom of God. I mean, for instance, we, we just had a church full of people murdered this last Sunday, and still nobody's willing to talk about gun control. I, ha- I have two guns. I am willing to talk about gun control when 27 people are murdered. And we don't, but we look at this and just, it's so backwards when we put our politics in front of Christ. Don't let that be an issue. When there are lives on the line, with any issue, whether it's, whether it's gun control or racism or abortion, any one of those life or death issues, put the gospel first. Put Jesus first. Put your politics on the back seat and look at something through the lens of Jesus' eyes. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent right now. I'm, I'm, it's okay. Anyway, we're getting back. We're getting back. We're getting back. We're coming back. Israel's denying the present problem. And this is the thing. They're hiding and justifying their sin. They're saying, well, it's technically legal. Well, just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's right. Amen. Just because it's legal don't mean that it's right. Okay? Yes. It's like, well, it's legal for me to drink. I'm 21. I can drink as much as I want. Yeah, but it's also stupid to get drunk on the weekend. I'm sorry if you get drunk on the weekend. Talk to somebody we can, we can pray for you. But look, this is the thing. If you're... If, if you're yeah, I'm off. I'm, I'm, I'm off on a tangent. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. All right, point three. Let's move on. We got to move. We got to move. Israel has forgotten where they came from also. So he's saying this. Right before he makes his indictment, right? He's in the middle of his indictment. He says this. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. Somebody say Egypt. Egypt. I, and basically, he's like, I've been with you since you started being a country. Like, I, I was there. Like, I've, I called you to be the nation that I want you to be. I'm the one who made you a kingdom. And it was I who spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied the visions. And through the prophets gave parables. There were many men who spoke for God. Somebody say, speak. Speak. Speaking for God. Mm. But he said, but these people, they're saying, oh, well, God, like if, if God's bringing up these issues that's in their relationship with him where they're being unjust, they're saying, well, it's not, you didn't tell us that it was that bad. And, and God's going, uh, actually, yeah, I did. Um, I sent lots of people to tell you what was going on in your, in your relationship with me. I, I was gracious. I've been gracious to you over and over and over and over and over. And you're still not listening to me. And this is the thing, is they've forgotten where they came from. How many of you are like, you come to college, and you don't really want to talk about, like, your hometown, because you're like, slightly embarrassed about where you come from, right? Like, it's, okay, don't raise your hand, because then we know who you are, and we're at your hometown. <laughs> Loud and proud. Um, like, so you're like, you don't talk about your hometown or where you came from, because it's got like a, I don't know, I don't know what kind of reputation your town's got. Like, it's a, it's a bad reputation. It's a bad place to raise your kids. Or maybe it's just a little... Like, little redneck town. And you're kind of like... I grew up in a small town, you know. And you're kind of like, yeah, I don't talk about that part of my life. Um, sometimes you're afraid to talk about the past. And you, you forget about where you come from. But can I tell you something? Regardless of where you are now, whether you think you're a big shot or not, God knows your humble beginnings. 
God knows your humble beginnings. God knew who you were. God knows more about who you were and who you are than you'll ever even know about yourself. He knows you down to the cellular level. When you have a headache, sometimes you don't even know why it's there. God knows why it's there. God knows everything about you physiologically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. God knows you and he knows where you came from. So Israel had these humble beginnings, right? And he's saying this in verse 11. He talks about uh, Gilead shall surely come to nothing. And Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. What's striking to me about that is Gilgal is actually the place where the Israelites first came into the promised land. So if you're familiar with the story at all, maybe you're not. Um, Moses' servant Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land, right? And it's all going well, great until they come to the river. And the river Jordan is at flood stage. It's like... And they're looking around going, um, we don't know how to build boats. Uh, and also we are people of the desert, so we don't know how to swim. Um, so <laughs> we don't know. We need to get over there. We know that. And God called us to take that land or on the other side of said river. So how do we do it? God says, all right, take the priest, bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is the box in which God's presence dwells, right? Walk into the river. So they walk into the river. And suddenly the river piles up on one side and it drains away and there's, there's, there's dry land for them to walk across. They're like, woo, praise God, they get across. And then as a result of that amazing miracle, you know, then they, everyone gets across and the waters go back. And so Joshua says, wow, that was incredible. We should build a stone heap right here to remember this. Because they didn't have time to like, actually like put in a lot of work. I don't know, I don't know exactly why they're like, we should build something. Yeah, how about a, how about a heap of stones? <laughs> that seems pretty easy because... Because we still got places to go. Yeah, I know, right? So um, I'm just, hold on, let's just get up. Stones, yeah, selfie. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Hashtag thank you, Jesus. Hashtag blessed. All right, now we move on. So, but Israel has forgotten where they came from. And so what's interesting is Gilgal, this place where the stone heap was, that where they remember, once remembered God, is now a place where altars are to false gods. And he's saying it's going to be like heaps of rubble in a field. Going to make the land useless. And so he knows, he knows Israel's humble beginnings. And in addition, he says, Jacob, he talks about Jacob fleeing to the land of Aram. And there Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. This is, again, a story from the life of Jacob. To get his first wife, he had to serve for, actually, I take that back. He didn't have to serve for seven years. He had to serve for 14 because his father-in-law, his future father-in-law ripped him off. And it's a really funny story. But um, you should read it. It's, it's really pretty, pretty hilarious. But um, it's... It, um, anyway, Jacob was, a, was had, in order to earn his wife, in order to earn her hand in marriage, he had to be a shepherd. Somebody say shepherd. shepherd. Now, we look at shepherds at Christmas time, right? That's like the only time you ever see shepherds. And they're like, like, you see them like, <laughs> with Jesus, and they're like these kindly bearded men with robes on and stuff. But what you don't realize about shepherding, have any of you worked with sheep before? Like, okay, Bobby has. What are they like? Dumb. Dumb. And do they, do they smell? That's an overstatement. That's an, okay. It's an overstatement to say that they're dumb and they are smelly and they're dirty. And they're not like, they're not like the, what? And willful. And willful. Okay. So they're like stubborn and yeah, and dumb. So that's a great combination of things. (laughs) Stubborn and dumb. But see, Israel's forgotten where they came from. This is that fourth point because God knows their humble beginnings. He knew that Jacob had to lower himself to the point of being a shepherd, to being a stinky shepherd in order to get, get to where God wanted him to be. But see, God brought Israel through their hard times. He says, by prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. By prophet, he was guarded. That prophet was Moses. God's saying, I'm the one who's guarded you throughout your entire time. Don't forget, don't, don't be too big to remember your beginnings. Don't be too big to remember where God brought you from. 
Don't be too big to look back on your past and go, man, I remember where I was before God came to me, and now look where I am. It's all because of God. Sola Deo Gloria. I don't know if you don't want to talk in Latin, that's fine. But that means glory to God alone. Somebody say amen on that point. Yeah. You've got to give God glory for where you're at. And I'm not just talking about the rap star. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me cut this record. And even though it's full of expletives and things like that. And expletives. <laughs> just came out that way, okay? Expletives. Thank you, Jesus. Jehovah God Almighty. Yeah. All right, so God brought Israel through hard times. And then Israel is ultimately going to bear the fruit of their sin. He's saying, I will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. And now we get into chapter 13 and point five. Idolatry is the root issue. See, they're, they're, want, they're not wanting to acknowledge the present. They don't want to acknowledge where they came from. But the issue is idolatry. He says, they incurred guilt through Baal and died. They worshipped a false god named Baal, which ironically was a sex god. You had to have sex in the, in the temple of Baal with a prostitute in order to worship him. Um, so it was really gross. And uh, that was the kind of god that the people of Canaan worshipped. And that's the kind of worship that the people of Israel got sucked into. But the problem is, with increased sin comes increased consequences. And it's, not so, and it's not so much that, like, people say all sin is sin. Yes. Um, I had one theology professor who said, all sin is sin, and it's equally bad. But some sins are worse than others. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's kind of true. Uh, the consequences of sin uh, in this time frame in which we live can, be di- can differ. And the sins that they were committing were just piling on top of each other, and they didn't seem to care. And the great reformer Martin Luther basically said that idolatry is at the heart of every sin. So every time you violate what God wants for your life, it's because you're placing something else on the throne of your life. So when God is on the throne of your life and you're serving him, you're not in idolatry, you're in a mode of worship. But as soon as that worship changes from God to something else, you're elevating your boyfriend, you're elevating a relationship, you're elevating your bank account, you're elevating your job, you're elevating your family even to this level that's above God where their needs come before your relationship with God or come before doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly before God, you're in idolatry. And idolatry is at the root of a lot of sin out there. And it's because as soon as, you dis, as soon as you do that, you are violating the order that God created you to live in. He wants to be at the head of your life. Why? Because he's a good king, a good father who will not lead you astray. I've got to move. Okay, so idolatry is the root issue. But point six, God reminds Israel of their past again. He's saying, look it, you guys think you're all great. Because at this point in Israel's history, they're doing pretty well economically. Everything seems to be working out. You know, the Dow Jones is up and they got a lot of Facebook likes, you know. And and then he comes along and he says, look, I am the Lord your God. Again, he repeats the same phrase. He says, I'm the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me and besides me there is no Savior. See, just before this, he was talking about how they created idols. And he says, uh, those who offer human sacrifices kiss calves. There's this mixture uh, of human sacrificing and, and, and sacrificing animals and, and sacrificing time for the sake of these idols. And he's saying, look it, but I'm the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I'm not one of these new chump gods that you guys are just worshiping because it's cool, because everybody does it. I've been with you from the beginning. And you need to know something. Some of you guys are here tonight and you don't believe that God's been with you from the beginning. Like God suddenly appeared on the scene like just a little while ago into your life. God's been around since before then. And God has actually known you since the day you were born. Since before the day you were born. 
See, so God reminds them of their past. God is their only God. And not only that, look at verse 5. He says, it was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. God knew Israel at their lowest point. Did you know God knows you at your lowest and your highest? God can celebrate your victories with you, but he walks with you through the difficulties. He is the God. He doesn't promise that your life, when you give it to him, is going to be all tiptoeing through the tulips. But God does promise to be there. I am with you always into the very end of the age, said Jesus. Even at your lowest point. God is there. At the lowest point of your past, when you felt completely worthless, God was there in that moment with you. He never abandoned the children of Israel when they were in the desert. He didn't abandon you in your desert either. That's a good God. So God, but the problem is, good times bred a bad heart in Israel. In Deuteronomy 8.14, God predicted this. He said, if things go well for you guys, the problem is you're going like, to turn away from me. And they're like, no way. And he's like, see? Like, years later, he's like, duh. I knew this was going to happen. So there's, there's a little bit of a problem there. But good times can breed a bad heart if you let them, if you begin to worship those good times. You worship the reason that you're successful. You worship your money, your income. You worship your job. You worship your position. You worship your influence you're going to get uh, you're going to get a bad heart out of it so and then as a result the holy god becomes a fearful thing to those people who are living in sin and he put, put, puts himself out as this image of a lion you know ripping them open they're like god's going to kill us he hates us uh, this image of like a leopard stalking them because when you are in sin this is the crazy thing when you're living in when you are living in habitual sin you will want, your your tendency is going to be i want to hide this from everyone else and especially from God, because I know that God is going to hurt me. Or like God doesn't like me, or he's going to stop loving me, or he's going to abandon me, or he's going to do something like that. Can I tell you something? God isn't like that. God's not like, we, we talked about this last week, God is not a kind of father who abandons you. He's not a father who's cruel to you. He's not a father who is a predator to you. And he's not a father who just enables you. He's a father who loves you perfectly, wholly, completely, with strength and kindness in great measure. So he says, he destroys you, Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. See, the problem is, you're shooting yourself in the foot, Israel. He's like, you're against me. I'm your helper. And you're against me now. In verse, in verse 9. So now where is your king to save you in all your cities? See, the people of Israel come to trust in their king. Somebody say king. 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 Like, do the crown thing. King. Like, that's like the one, like... American Sign Language thing I know. Actually, it's probably not even American Sign Language. It's just from Sunday school. You know, king. Um, so. Okay. That's what? Aaliyah says totally no. What's king in American Sign Language? I don't remember, but I remember how to spell it. Okay. Well, that works. You know, that's way more legit anyway. So, okay. So, idolatry is a root issue. So, God reminds them of their past. And the problem is that Israel had lived in foolishness. This is point number seven. Israel's king was, take, was given and taken in wrath. See, in 1 Kings 12, we read about how the kingdom of Israel split because Solomon. Anybody remember the story of King Solomon? Like the wisest man who ever lived? Ever, anybody ever read about him, heard about him? So he was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, but his son Rehoboam was a jerk. J-E-R-K, jerk. He told everybody, like, at one point, all the people were like, hey, your dad made us work really hard. Um, could you, like, lighten the load? And he was like, oh, you want me to lighten the load? Yeah. Okay, sure. Just kidding. I'm going to make you work even harder. <laughs> and, like, I'm kid not kidding. Read that's even in the text, 1 Kings 12. <laughs> it's probably in there. The evil laugh and everything. 
So Rehoboam was awful, so God raised up a man named Jeroboam, and Jeroboam leads the people of Israel in a rebellion against him, and God, again, God is going, I want to establish my kingdom. So if it won't work through Rehoboam because of his selfishness, I'll raise up Jeroboam, this other guy, whose name sounds very similar. I guess Boam was a cool kind of ending to a name back then. So Jeroboam raises up, and then what happens is he, his kingly line turns against God. They set up false idols. They begin worshiping false gods. And so he's like, um, so then he has to turn against them. And in 2 Kings 15, his kingly line is brought to an end. So God's saying, fine, you guys want a king so bad. You want it just like everybody. You want to be like everyone else. You don't want me to rule you. You want somebody else to rule you. Fine, go for it. Break a leg. Literally. And then um, the, people of, the people of Israel suffered the consequences. So I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. And so Israel's lived in foolishness. And in verses 12 to 13, he compares them to a child turning in birth and not coming out when they need to be. And actually, the Hebrew phrasing there is really interesting because it calls it, I think it's called the gateway of the child is the actual like terminology for it. I was like, that's a really interesting way to put it. I think it was like a turn of phrase back then. But they were like, he, it's like a child that's about to be born and then isn't. And uh, that can be like a really scary moment if you're in childbirth. Um, so, but then all of a sudden, so in the middle of all this, God's making all these indictments. Somebody say indictment. But then in the middle of all this, curiously, God says something. God speaks something. The severity of this issue is, is pretty obvious at this point. Israel is denying their past. And you guys, in your lives, you may, you may want to live in denial of your past, whatever that looks like. Maybe you're getting, into a relate, you're getting into that point in college where you're wanting to get into a relate, healthy relationship, but you just want to live in denial of the past. Good or bad, you just kind of want to put it away and just start over. And I'm going to do me, and I'm just going to start a new life. And I just can do, just magically do a new, be a new person. Like, do a new life. And you can't. And you come. Some of you may have even come to college to start over because you feel like you maybe messed things up in high school or whatever, or or in wherever it was that you were before. But I want to tell you something. God has a hope for you. Somebody say hope. God has hope for you. Amen. Now, and this is where it gets really good. He says, he asked this question, chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? That's a word that means the grave. Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. What does that mean? He's saying, look it, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be death, there's going to be filth, there's going to be destruction. And then he continues this. He says, though he may flourish among the brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. Samaria is going to bear her guilt. And he even talks about like children and women dying, and it's this horrific picture. Yet in the middle of all this, somehow there's a message about where is the sting of death. It sounds like it's right there. Like, people are going to die. Why is God saying this? First of all, when he talks about this, he's using graphic imagery for a reason. Somebody say he's using it for a reason. Now, that is really, really extreme violence right at the end. Obviously, that's graphic, horrific, R-rated stuff. Why is it in there? Because God is trying to issue a warning to Israel to turn back from their sin and return to the covenant, to return to the place where He wants them to be. And I believe that God is calling some of you guys to come to the Lord, to come and dwell in the land of the living, to be the one who is in the courts of God, to be the person who says it is better, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, oh God. God wants you to be in a place where you're in a deep, passionate relationship with Him. And when you are in that place, you're going to be in a place where you can share a relationship with somebody else and it's going to be meaningful 
Some of you want to get married. That's fantastic. Make things right with God. And God's going to be able to, God's going to bring the right kind of person into your life at the right time. But focus on God first. So why does God put this strange, strange saying in here? Shall I redeem them from death? I think the question is rhetorical. He's saying, look, I know that death is coming for my people Israel. Because he knows, God in his sovereignty knows that Israel's not going to turn away. He knows that Israel is going to suffer oppression. And if you've read anything about the Assyrian Empire, the whole like, women being like ripped open and children being dashed against the rocks, unfortunately that was a reality in that time. And it would happen to Samaria, not long after Hosea's time. And it was horrific. And the whole population was carted off into exile. People, many people died. It was a sad, sad day in Israel. Because they continually rebelled. They wanted their own way. And God in His love is speaking to them through this man, Hosea, through this broken-hearted prophet who has experienced the pain of a woman leaving him, who has experienced the pain and the shame and embarrassment of having to find his wife after she ended up back in a life of adultery. A, a, a prophet who is well acquainted with this. And then in the middle of all this, Hosea says, Where, O death, is your sting? Shall I ransom them from death? I think the answer is actually rhetorical because God does want to ransom them from death. There's something interesting. So there's, what are, can somebody tell me what are the three tenses here? Like, what are the three tenses in English? Okay, past, right? Okay, there's past. We got that. Then what's in the middle? Present. And then, what's the last one? Future. Future. Like, wow, this is really insightful. Thank you for that. I didn't know what the tenses were. Past, present, and future walked, uh, what was it? There's some kind of joke about camping or something, and it was tense. I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the punchline is it was tense. So anyway, um, past, present, and future. And there's elements throughout this. It's kind of interesting because throughout these two chapters, it kind of weaves between all three. Where they, Like it talks about uh, the stories about Jacob are in the past, right? And then in the present, we've got, what, idolatry? Anybody else pick up anything that was in the present going on? Like, what was, oh, what's that? Perceived good times. Perceived good, yeah, we'll, we'll put it in quotes. Good times. <laughs> that was going on in the past. Injustice. Or in the present, sorry. So, and in the past, what? Injustice. Injustice in which part? Present. Present. But now, and now past also we had Egypt right and their deliverance from Egypt and they came out of that but the problem is that there was a lot of Egypt and their old ways of living that bled into the present right so then in the future there's like what we'll is say disaster we won't use like all the super graphic language because that's like intense so uh, absolute disaster but then he says this oh death where is your sting what is he talking about resurrection somebody say resurrection 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 and this is the same verse that gets quoted in the New Testament. I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know I usually don't have you guys move around a whole lot, but this is, a, this is good. Verse 55, he says this. When the perishable 
Well, 54, he says this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, that is, when God gives His eternal life to you, then we shall come to, then shall come to pass what it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is going even farther into the future where we see resurrection at the end of everything that Israel is going to go through, even though they, dis- they, even though they have brought disaster upon themselves and it's a consequence of sin, God promises resurrection. And I want to tell you right now, what, there may be some dead things in your life, some issues that you want to leave in the past that you don't want to address, but God wants you to, to work through those things so that He can heal you because I believe God wants to resurrect some people. I believe that God wants to give you a new life and you can only do it by faith in Christ. And so it doesn't matter what your past look like. It doesn't matter what your issues are like in the present. It doesn't even matter if you just predict doom on the horizon because ultimately God is pointing you towards something greater and it's the resurrection that was pro, that was, and it was the, the first person who was actually resurrected. The first born from among the dead was Jesus. We know the resurrection is coming because we have a God who was resurrected. Amen. It's about resurrection. It's about hope. God actually lurking underneath all of this difficulty and all of this pain is the hope of resurrection that God is going to bring life to things that are dead. Amen? Amen. God wants to bring life to things that are dead. How does He do it? In Christ. See, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is in the law. God made His law known to us so that we could see the effects of sin. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way that you can overcome issues, habits, addictions, whatever it is that's bogging you down in your relationships with others, is freedom in Christ. That's it. You've got to submit your life to Jesus, and it's going to change. Now, I'm not saying that it's all going to happen overnight. I wish I could tell you that. Whoop-de-doo, I'm a perfect person now because I love Jesus. Like, it doesn't happen exactly that way. But I do believe that God wants to give you new life. God wants to give you new life. Amen? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.